That's good. Um, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for the journey that we're on um, as a church, looking at finding Jesus in the feasts, um, how, how much we've already gleaned from, from the first uh, three feasts, how, um, how amazingly deep your word is, and the symbolism behind um, that time, what you instituted uh, with your people. So we thank you that the feasts are yours. But more importantly, we thank you for the fulfillment in Christ, that we can live perpetually from this position. And I thank you for that. And we just welcome your Holy Spirit. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Very good. All right, Tommy, if you want to throw... Oh, he's up. He's good. He's gone. It was Pete. Thanks, Pete. <laughs> I should be right. I got the little pointer, so I should be right for it today. So um, today I get to share on the last of the spring feasts. Okay, so if you remember our introduction, we looked at um, the first four feasts come under the banner or under the season of the springtime before we go into um, the autumn period. And today I get to share on the last one, which is pretty exciting. Uh, to get the opportunity to share on the Feast of Weeks. Um, it's, it's that last feast that uh, f- was fulfilled in the first visit of Christ uh, 2,000 years ago. So the fulfillment came um, once Jesus ascended into heaven, the fulfillment of this feast. So that's what we're kind of looking at today, and I'm, I'm really excited about that. The name Weeks can be a little bit confusing. It's called the Feast of Weeks. Um, I'll keep up with myself. Yeah, look at that. It works. But it's also known as the Feast of Pentecost or Pentecost um, because of what, um, a various number of reasons. So, but anyway, it can be a little confusing because it is only held on one day. It's not um, weeks of festivities. It's, it's still only held on one day. But what an amazing day it is. And we're going to look at some of these things and discuss, um, hopefully, and, and, and at the same time, not just learn, but I want to just challenge us this morning to prepare our heart because even though it might not be Pentecostal Sunday, all right, even though it might not be the actual day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is available each and every moment and is willing to come and do something in your life. You see, so I want you to expect in your heart I want you to just say to yourself today, I'm not going to just receive something from the Word that's going to help me to live a good life, but I'm also going to receive something by the Holy Spirit today. You're going to speak directly into your life. Something today, maybe at the end, Holy Spirit is just going to come and touch your heart today in some way. So can we expect that? Can we agree to expect this something today? Yep, good. Let's make that agreement together. Amen. So the Feast of Weeks, also known as the Day of Pentecost. Uh, for reasons I will share later as we unpack this feast, you will see that it holds great significance for our faith. Okay? It's something that as we look at the Pentecost and what it means, it's something that will give great significance to what Rod, Pastor Rodney was sharing about this morning during communion. In fact, without the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost coming to fulfillment in Christ, the church would not have been born and none of us would be sitting here as followers of Christ today. So that's how significant Pentecost is to, to our thinking as we are uh, born-again believers, followers of Jesus Christ. 
That's how significant this feast is. It is interesting that we actually see part of God's plan for, uh, in relation to the feasts and the fulfillment of it right back in the story of Exodus. So we'll have a look at Exodus chapter uh, 19, verse 10 to 11. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Okay? This is the moment when God came and visited the nation of Israel. The significance for us is when you look into Acts chapter 2, there was something really significant in verse 1. As the people gathered together, we count looking at the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, and in that first Pentecost after the ascension of Jesus Christ, God visited in a real and tangible way, didn't he? It was real. It was physical. It was tangible. They were able to see it with their own eyes, the Holy Spirit. And uh, that's something here in this Old Testament scripture we're able to see, that God um, had a plan to fulfill as a type in the Old Testament with its fullness of its experience to be experienced after Christ came. It has always been and is God's desire to dwell amongst his own people. Look at the Garden of Eden. God walked with them in the cool of the day. It was always his plan to dwell with his people. When you look at the intentions of bringing Israel out of Egypt, you look at as he brought them out and he led them out with the Passover, he led them out as a nation, millions of people plundering Egypt, plundering and, and getting everything they need, but then being pursued by an enemy, the enemy being destroyed in that as they crossed the Red Sea you see the intention was so that they could worship their God. When we worship God, doesn't the Word of God say that He will inhabit the, the praises of His people? See, there's this whole perspective that's available for us that as we, as we learn about God, as we understand God, as we look at the person of Jesus and, and apply this faith to our life, there is a reality to us that God dwells with us and it is his desire to do so. It never started, it was never initiated from us. It was always God's desire as Father, as creator of humanity to dwell with his people. And I'm thankful that he desired not to just do that with one people group, but with all of humanity. Amen? So, we look at that, we look at Egypt, it was his intention, it became more evident. The, the very significant point where it becomes so, so real for us to believe that it was God desiring more than just wanting to spend that with one nation, that, that there was more of an intention to want to open that up to the world, to open that up even to the Gentile nations. The significant event was the tearing of the curtain. No longer was God going to be hidden behind a piece of material, a piece of cloth. No longer was God going to be hidden so that only one person a year could come and, and dwell and, and be in his presence. No longer. He, he was over the old system so much so that when his son gave up his life, that he tore that curtain apart. And the significant event is that he tore that apart, that there would be no longer a wall of separation between humanity and him. No longer was God going to be kept in a box. 
And, I, and I'm really grateful for that. Revelation 21.3. I think I got that up there, yeah? It says, The home of God is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. How significant is that? We, we can see that that is a future to be placed, but, but it, is a, a, it is real now. The home of God is amongst his people. Are we not the temple of the Holy Spirit? The, the church collectively as a body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But yet, even more so than that, he dwells within the inside of us as an individual. See, God dwells with you, and he is happy about that. Let that just sit there for a moment in your thinking. Let that just permeate your thoughts for a moment. That God is happy to dwell with you. What does that mean? What does that mean that God wants to dwell with you? And if, if you say in your own heart, well, well, that can't be a truth because, well, I'm a sinner. That can't be a truth because of something that I've done. Then I would challenge your thinking on that. Because God wants and so desires to dwell with you. And he does so by faith, but it's his privilege to do so. And it's only made possible because of what Jesus did. Not by what you did. Not because you're good enough. Not because, not because you have to remain perfect and holy for him to do so. But the beautiful words of Colossians was very on point this morning. He does so because you are pure and righteous in Christ. You are holy. You are blameless. The word, you, can, you can go through all the New Testament scriptures that you like and you will find if you go with an open heart and with an open mind, you will find that you are no longer considered to God as a sinner, but you are his saint. You are no longer considered filthy before God because in Christ you are free. In Christ you are holy. In Christ, he desires to dwell with you. That's the significance of that curtain tearing, I believe. So as we look at the Feast of Weeks, when we get a fresh glance at it today and its significance, um, we, we, what we want to do is we want to aim to look at its fulfillment in the Acts uh, chapter 2 that I referred to earlier. And we do so by looking at uh, Leviticus 23, where we started our last um, our series, this is where we've been around, and we're looking at verse 15. It says, From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Pretty significant passage of Scripture. We're going to kind of look at this a little bit today, break it up into three areas, um, and hopefully see Jesus as it's fulfilled in this passage of Scripture. So a little bit differently than the other weeks, but we, we will get there. Amen? So the feast day is not actually given a calendar date. The first three feasts were given a date, weren't they? Nisan 1, uh, 14, 15, and 16. Yep. So in, in relation to the, the, the Jewish calendar or the Hebrew calendar, we understand that that's it's sort of the same sort of thing where we get um, our, our Easter today. But God doesn't necessarily give it a date, although I think he could have. But I think when you look at it, there's a reason he doesn't do it. He doesn't give a specific date. He says, count off seven full weeks and add a day. 
All right. <clears throat> this is when you will hold that feast on the next day. Hence the two names attributed to the Feast of Weeks. So counting off seven weeks, and it also became known as Pentecost, which is the Greek um, for 50, 50 days. And therefore, because uh, it was on the 50th day after the feast of what we looked at last week, the first fruits. Okay. So what is also significant is the number seven. It is actually implied twice in this feast. You say, well, let's look at that passage of Scripture. Where can I see seven twice? No, back one, thanks, Pete. Yeah. Where can I see seven twice there? Yeah, can you see it? Seven full weeks. Yeah, so seven full weeks. What's a week? Seven days. Seven times seven. All right, so it's mentioned twice there in this passage of Scripture, just in that little bit there, seven weeks. It is actually implied seven times seven days. And you know when God mentions something twice, then you should listen. Is that right? Yeah. Usually when he says it two or three times, he's kind of trying to get our, our attention. So what's the attention he's trying to allude to with this number seven? Well, the significance of seven it means completion. It means completion. There's this implication that God completed something and it is finished with this feast. We look at the first three feasts. What did we have? We had Pentecost. Come on, what was the second one? You guys were listening. You were here. Unleavened bread. And last week? First fruit. So there was three feasts. And the fourth one to complete the springtime period now is the Pentecostal feast or the Feast of Weeks. And it brings, to, it brings to completion a work that God was talking through. The completion was the resurrection of Jesus. It was a series of events over three days. That completion, it was completely, it utterly completed the work that Jesus had to do and it destroyed the works of the enemy. Is that right? Death, you have no sting. Sin no longer has any weight upon us because we are free. We are set free of sin. Is that right? So when you look at this, the completion of such is that sin, the penalty for sin that you deserve and I deserve for sinning, the very thing that would separate us from God and a judgment would, would be the very point to cast us away from God's presence and into an eternal fire. The very thing that, was, that is upon every person's life because you were born into sin was dealt with at the cross. It is complete. Jesus said it is what? Finished. He didn't say it's going to continue for an eternity, that you're going to battle with sin. He didn't say that. He said it is finished. The price, the the, the very thing that I need to do to pay back, to redeem mankind, it is finished. Right here, right now, at the cross, it is done. It is complete. I don't get to praise God for that. Why not? Because look at what he's done. He's dealt with these things once for all. We don't have to nail Jesus to the cross every time we do something wrong. Right? Sin is completely dealt with. And death, death being the last enemy in our life, 
it actually has no sting on us. For us, to walk through death is actually the entrance into the rest of our eternity with God. You see, so when we look at these sorts of things, there no longer is this, this sense that we, we were separated from God. We are now complete by faith. We come to God and accepted not on our own works, but on what God has done for us through his son, Jesus. So seven times seven. It's talking about this completion and how it completely undone all the works of the enemy. So when we come to this feast, in Acts chapter 2, it reads, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is that fulfillment, the completion that God would dwell amongst his people. No longer was the sin going to separate God from those who would choose to turn to him. And on the 50th day, after, after this whole entire feast season, we find 50 days, Jesus pours out. He gives the gift of his Holy Spirit to his church and the birth of the church happens there and then. God amongst his people, by the power of his Holy Spirit, by the very presence of his Spirit. So our second point today, when Exodus, Exodus 26 tells us three times a year, every Israelite male had to present themselves before God. And in the days of the temple, that meant they had to go to Jerusalem at least three times a year from wherever they lived. They had to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. One of these times was for the Feast of Weeks, for Pentecost. From the surrounding nations, the descendants from the tribes of Israel made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2, verse 5, the very next verse, it says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in their own language. So in this day, in this time, the Jewish people were still fulfilling the requirements of traveling to Jerusalem, they were still in the presence seeking, seeking to fulfill the feast because they knew it was a requirement for them to live under the law. And they came with a heart for Pentecost. They came with a heart because that was that gathering, the Feast of Weeks, that they would come and would be celebrating what God had already done in those first three uh, feasts that we've already discussed. It tells us that every person... This is your personal application for this part of, of what Pentecost is about. Every person needs to personally present themselves before God and ask for an infilling of his spirit. Pastor Rod shared during communion that it's our responsibility to stay within the bounds of faith. It's our responsibility to stay under the covering of the blood. It's our responsibility to remain in the faith that God gives us. 
But yet it's also our responsibility to not just apply the blood to the post, the lintels of our heart. It's also the, our responsibility to ask the Father to give us a good gift because He only gives us good gifts. It's our responsibility to come before God and say, Daddy, Papa, give me more. It's our responsibility to say, God, you have something for me. Why? Because it, even though it's a free gift, that gift will remain unwrapped unless you open it up. If I came to you at Christmas time and I gave you a present and that present stayed on your shelf for 12 months, you really haven't received a gift from me. Is that right? What you've received is a gift that's wrapped and you will never experience the beauty of whatever that is or the practicalities of whatever that is or the fulfillment of whatever that is. And it might, it might actually be tickets to, um, to something that you've always dreamed to have, to go to, 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 to be at. Maybe you wanted tickets to the opera and you've never been to the opera and it, that might be the gift. But you'll never know unless you open that. It's the same with this gift of the Holy Spirit. God freely gives, but we must freely receive. And we must open that gift and we must say, God, what have you got for me? And as he pours out the Holy Spirit upon you, that's your responsibility to then discover where and how and what God's saying in your life and leading you through those things. So it's an individual opportunity to come. Each person had to go up to Jerusalem. If they didn't go to Jerusalem, that was their loss for that feast, for that year. They had to wait another time for that. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit is ever-present. He's with us now. And as we ask Him, as we open ourselves up to Him, Holy Spirit is willing and able and ready to say, Yes, my son, I will come. Whatever you ask, it comes. See, we have the gifts of the Spirit, don't we? And He opens that up in our life, but we have to ask. We have the fruit of the Spirit. Each and every one of the fruits in our Spirit are ready and available now in your life. But you see, we don't step into that because we don't say, God, I need your peace now or I need your joy now. We don't step out of that because we don't ask. So the responsibility of every entire Christian is to come before God and say, God, Daddy, I want more. Daddy, I want your Holy Spirit. I want this. Knowing that Dad is good. Knowing that God is always good and ready to give of his Spirit to you. Someone else can't do that for you. You know, your pastor might be able to pray for you. But you won't get anything unless you're hungry. You won't get anything from God unless you say, God, I receive. Salvation, we receive that by faith. Why would it be any different to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Okay, does that make sense? So we look at that as our second point. That we need to, we, this is something, as we look at Pentecost, as we look at the gift of the Holy Spirit, that is not just given. Now, we know, we can talk this out, we can flesh this out. We know every Christian is given the Spirit of God. All right, so we can talk theologically about this if we like. We know that the moment that you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, the moment you give your life to Him, you are given the Holy Spirit as a seal into the family of God. But this is not what I'm talking about. This is the fullness of the Spirit of God for a purpose. 
And it's not to just be a bless me club. It's actually for empowerment to go and win the world. It's actually for empowerment to be the church of God. It's actually for empowerment that so we can be unified to step into all that God has so that we can be a witness into his community. I'm not talking about that which seals us as children of God, sons of God, because we know that's the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about empowerment from on high. Jesus said, he breathed on them. Their last visitation in the book of John, when he's talking with them, it says he breathed on them, received the Spirit, talking about the disciples, those who gathered for breakfast. We can read that. We know he's traditionally for Pentecostal faith, we would see that, that that is the moment they were received into the kingdom of God, sealed by the Holy Spirit into faith. The Spirit of God came and sealed them into his kingdom. So every Christian, I believe, is, has the Spirit, has the new birth, has new water, living water inside of them, but it's like a well. It's like a well inside of you. And when you've got a well inside of you, it's quite personal. It's quite, this is for me. I draw from this. This is, this is what God is doing for me. And you need that in your life. But I'm talking about something even more greater than a well. I'm talking about a river of living water. And this is what Pentecost is. Pentecost is the, the, the re- realization that there is empowerment, there is authority that comes with the gift of the Holy Spirit that is enough to break those wells so it no longer becomes just about personal, but it becomes about everyone else around you. Because God doesn't want you to stay in a place where it's all about you. He doesn't want you to be selfish. He wants you to be a blessing. You are blessed with the Holy Spirit to be a blessing to others. That's what I love about the the testimonies we had this morning. To be challenged, to be able to say to your friends, you know, I'm here because I want to know better ways of getting you to be here as well. So that you can bring your friends into this place as well. We know it's not about a building, it's about church. It's about the family of God. But unless the Spirit of God is stirring in your life, unless He's breaking those walls down in your life and pouring water living through you. This is what I'm talking about. We can ask and we can receive, and Holy Spirit will come and empower our lives. Our third point today, we need also look um, at what was required of this feast. Leviticus 23, 17, it says, From wherever you live, bring two loaves of bread to be lifted up before the Lord, as an offering. These loaves must be baked from three quarts of choice flour and they must contain yeast. We talked about yeast um, a few weeks ago and the significance of yeast or leaven. And most of the time in the Bible, yeast is mentioned um, in relation to sin, isn't it? We get that? So apart from the lambs and the bulls and all those things that they needed to bring as an offering unto God, each person had to bring two loaves of bread as an offering for the feast. It is now seen that these two loaves represented two groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles, who through the Holy Spirit are now made one entity in Christ. Two loaves brought before God as an offering, both containing yeast, Interesting, isn't it? 
Yeah, because even, even our Jewish brothers, our Hebrew brothers, need Jesus to set them free from sin. You see, so the, 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 the representation here is as you come before God in this feast and you lift up before him two loaves of bread, what you're saying is, God, you are making these two nations or these two um, people groups, Jew and Gentile, you're making them one. And, and it's all under this banner that Jesus Christ has done this. Why? Because he's removed the very offense which was sin from our lives. What a beautiful picture that God uses here. And if you want to take that to a personal application for your life, think about it this way. One loaf could represent you. And one loaf could represent those that you are called to witness to. You see, we have a, we have a significance um, a significant call about this whole walk and journey of sanctification with God that, that involves us. But it also has a very significant part that the most you will grow, the best place that you'll grow, is if you're also including others in that. And as you're witnessing and sharing with those who need Jesus, as much as you need Jesus, two lives become one under Christ. I think it's a beautiful picture for you to take today. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, by, uh, For by, and, and this, is, this will be um, the Amplified, uh, For by means of the personal agency of one Holy Spirit, we were all, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, baptized and by baptism united together into one body. I'll read that for you out of um, the Word, out of Sorry, even though that was the word, the wrong word to choose. I'll read that to you out of New King James. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. I've got a joke going with the young adults. I reckon the Amplified's written for women. Would you agree, guys? Like, seriously? Because the extra words, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Uh, verse, what did I say, 13. It says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. What a blessing that is. All been made to drink into one Spirit. And uh, I really look at that and say, wow, that God would think all of those years way back when he instituted the Feast of, of Weeks, what it was on his heart, what drove him to institute that feast, knowing that he would send his son, knowing that Jesus would suffer at the cross, knowing the fullness would be completed in Christ, that when Pentecost came, it was about the unification of nations. It was about bringing those who were separated from God into one body and one flesh. There's no more Jew, there is no more Gentile. Paul has this whole revelation, you can read it in the, in the New Testament. There's no more separation, there is no divide. We are one in Christ. What a beautiful picture that we find here. Ephesians 2.14 For Christ himself has made peace between us Jews and you Gentiles by making us all one people. He has broken down the wall of hostility that used to separate us. 
His purpose was to make peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new person from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. And you get that picture, you get that implication that it's Jesus as he stands in the midst before God and he offers up the Jews and the Gentiles alike. This is God, this was all for you. What a beautiful picture that is. As he holds up two loaves of bread, two nations become one, accepted before God through Christ. So we see a beautiful picture. Leaven being dealt with represents sin, doesn't it? It was we shared many times before. Christ makes us brand new, spotless, blameless, and in other words, perfect. This is our legal position before Christ. It's our legal position in Christ. And literally, though we know that we are still mucking things up, we still do the wrong things. But yet we can come before God as a sweet fragrance, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Who's ever walked past a, uh, a bakery really early in the morning and you just get that whiff of fresh bread? So good. Now think of that in relation to the fragrance that you give off as Jesus lifts you up before God the Father. You give this beautiful fragrance before God. No wonder he's pleased. No wonder he's pleased to look at you. Amen? So then we get this unchangeable plan. God is the same today, yesterday, and forever, isn't he? Yeah? His plans do not change. He doesn't say one thing one day and then two weeks later change that. It's a good, ch- it's a good check for prophetic words, by the way. Isn't it? Someone speaks prophetically over your life and, and you're not too sure about that one and two weeks later you get another word and you're not too sure about that one and it can sometimes bring confusion into your life. The word is solid. He doesn't change. You have to take your words back to the word of God and say, what are you saying to me, God? And in that you'll find the one. So check these things. But at the same time, God never changes. I say this to point out that God had a plan in place since the day of rebellion in the Garden of Eden, prophesied in the Old Testament, revealed in the four feasts we have covered thus far and fulfilled in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Three things, three words. Liberation, first word. It always starts with being freed from bondage, free from separation of sin. There is always a sense of you were created to be free to worship God. But because you inherited a nature that was opposed to God through Adam, you were enslaved. I love what Galatians 5 says here. Now, I've just applied three scriptures out of Galatians for us this morning to just wrap our heads around. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, one of our favorite scriptures. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. How beautiful is that? That God has liberated you. Why then would you choose to go back to bondage? Why then would you choose to go back to slavery? Why would you go back to Egypt where you were separated from your God? 
when you look at the next word, sanctification. We saw these through the other feasts. Sanctification. The process involves being set apart and made clean. Because if something perfectly clean comes in contact with something unclean, well, we know what happens, doesn't it? Yeah? You step into mud and your perfectly clean, shined boots become muddy, don't they? Yeah? But sanctification, we see, is this process that we are being set apart. And thank God that when we do touch something that's unclean, we don't have to do these ones and, and kind of reject that, but we can come before God and really stand before him and say, God, I desire to be like Jesus. Thank you that you accept me. Thank you that you, have, you are renewing my mind so that I can become more like him. And I choose not to be around that stuff. Galatians 2.20, another one of our favorite verses, but put into context for today. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. Say I. Have been crucified with Christ. See, you are dead. It is no longer I who live. Say I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. Say that. Say that again. Now say it with conviction. Very good. You see, Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I now live is not about me being treading really carefully like I'm got not, I don't want to trip up, like I'm walking this really narrow path and now I'm going to trip up if I go here or I'm going to go here. It's not about that because Christ is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. He's the one that's telling you not to go left or not to go right. In fact, when, when you go through the narrow path that leads to Jesus and you get to the gate that is Jesus and you accept Jesus by faith, when you open that gate up, it's before you, before you is this amazing, amazing paddock that is to explore. The beauty of that pasture is for you to explore. I got this picture in uh, Narendra while I was there, and I didn't share it with anyone. I didn't know why I had the picture, but I think I do now. I had this picture. I was just looking up, and I was looking at the rafters in the, in the, in the building. And I got this real picture of this real ornate building, like, Almost like some of the cathedrals that you may have seen around the world. They're really beautiful. Like a lot of workmanship has gone into them and, and times past. That was really beautiful. It was a dedication unto God. But these massive pillars and massive beams and things. And, and, then, and then I was looking around the corner. I was looking at the pillar that had them and I was, and I was seeing the beauty of the intricate as, as there was this um, pattern that was carved into this, this pillar. And God was just saying, this this place that I have led you, it is for you to explore in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I think about that, and this, this scripture always gets me to think like that. As we go through, it's not about I have to be really careful that I'm going to sin as I go through the world. No, you are no longer a sinner, and you are free to live in the abundance that God has for you. And He, if your eyes are on Him and you're walking in the Spirit, you don't have to fear sin. Because you have overcome it. And when we see it in this light, well, then I'm free to live in the, in the beauty and the freedom that God has given me. Because Jesus is with me. And I'm free to be me. And that's part of our sanctification. It's 
part of our journey we're on. And then the last word, inhabitation. God dwells with us. God dwells with you. Galatians 4, 4 to 7. It says this. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. See, God inhabits us. He dwells with us, and he frees us so that we can call him dad. How beautiful is that picture? I'll skip through a few things, but you can look at some of the ones that we've looked at already. Exodus 19, Ezekiel 39. They're, they're areas where we see this pattern outplayed, and then you see in the feast that we've been looking at. And I'm sure if you're in a, in a grow group, you'll get to look at those this week. But you see, the Feast of Weeks had great agricultural significance as it coincided with the start of the harvest proper. You see, the first fruits came, but the harvest was not yet ready. Feast of Weeks comes and it's the start of the harvest proper. The day of Pentecost in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon his disciples in the upper room, it birthed the church age, the time of harvest. And Jesus says to his disciples before his ascension in Luke 24, he says, I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. We had a group of excited apostles, disciples, this group of, of 100, it was 120 gathering together Day by day, they were praying, they were reaching out to God, they were, they were searching the Scriptures, trying to get this understanding of what Jesus was promising and, and what he was going to send. We know they got an understanding because Peter stands up and gives the, sto- the, 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 the sermon out of Joel. So th- we know they find understanding, but what they got was not just understanding, they got the power to do so. Peter, before Jesus was crucified, three times denies Jesus. Three times in fear of himself, he denies Christ. And it kind of feels a little bit like what Kyle was sharing this morning. You know, you know, I say, people know that I go to church, but I don't actually say anything about it. I went through that kind of journey myself as he was sharing that with me the other day. I said, one of the things I used to do was go to youth camps and we get those armbands. And I would purposefully leave the armband on for a week or two so that when someone said, what's that? I was able to say, well, that's from a camp that I went to and it would remind me so that I can tell them about Jesus. Because I too had to challenge myself about in that area. And I think most of us, 90% of the church would actually be like that. Okay, So don't, don't think that it's foreign and that you're the only one that can't do that. In fact, most of us can't do that. We need the Holy Spirit to remind us, now's a really good time to say Jesus in this conversation. Now's a really good time. So we actually need the Holy Spirit as a witness in our life, and we need to be in tune to the Holy Spirit to know when is a good time to bring Christ up in our relationships with people. Okay? We all can't be evangelists, and every conversation we have is about Jesus. It's not natural for most of us, but yet... Here we are, we've got 
this power that is poured out from high. Peter stands up in front of thousands of people from different nations as as the other 119 were speaking in weird and wonderful languages that they'd never spoken before. Peter says they're not drunk, as you suppose, because it's only like 9 o'clock in the morning. That's pretty early to get onto the wine and the heavy drink, as the Bible would put it. Right? But think about that. Only 53 days earlier, Jesus is running for his life and now he stands in front of multitudes of people and he says, these guys are not drunk. You got it all wrong. They're just filled with the Holy Spirit. I love that. I love that. We are now, and I'm going to bring to conclusion, so I'm going to invite the band to come because I just want to have a bit of a, a, a song to finish today. But we are now in this period. Pentecost brought to completion something that Christ had done so that the church would not be meek and mild, but that we would be empowered for witness, that we would shine brightly, brightly. I say that again. We would shine brightly in the darkest of places. We are now in the most amazing period of time of harvest, the church age significantly brought on by the day of Pentecost. And as the world is coming to an end, we can say, we can say, now is the time to stand up. Now is the time to reap. Jesus never said, pray for the harvest, did he? He never said that when he shared, when he, when he said to pray. What did he pray for? He said, pray for laborers. He never said pray for the harvest because the harvest was already ripe. There is a harvest field in each and every one of your lives. Every one of you have people that you influence. Every one of you are in a place where something that you can say would be enough to have that person saved. And yet you will not do that in your own strength. You need power from on high, the same as Peter did, the same as the apostles did, the same as the first 120 of the church that started did, the same as those 3,000 that came to Christ on that day. They needed the same Spirit. Go to Acts chapter 10. The, the Word was being shared. Peter was standing there and he was talking about this Christ that they'd never heard of in a Gentile gathering and the Holy Spirit invades and says, that's enough, Peter. I'm going to pour out right here, right now, the Holy Spirit. He comes and He's going to fill the place with wind, a rushing wind, Acts 2 says. He comes and He filled the place with tongues of fire. And he filled each and every one of them with boldness to stand up and say, the end is near. You need Jesus. You need to trust in Him. You need to put yourself in Him. You need to apply the blood of Christ to your life. You see, and I, I want to see a church that's on fire for God in this area. And I know that that's the heartbeat of God. Amen.